right, so let's get started. Um, thank you all of us, all of you who have joined in today. I hope you're all doing well. Um, and I'm glad to see everyone come in amidst all these power cuts. Um, please bear with all of us today as we try and navigate the internet, but I think we are all sorted. Uh, my name is Emma and I am the communications Jedi here at Good Life X. Um, and we are really happy to have you all um, with us tonight in the second session of the Regenerating a Creative Future conversation series. This series of five conversations is brought to you by the Creative Economy Program at British Council, the Good, um, Good Life X, working in partnership with British Council's Making Matters Program, our media partners at War Media, and industry expert, Lonali Rodrigo. So tonight's session is focused on urbanization within local communities. So tonight we'll be discussing lack of harmony between us as stakeholders and the environment and nature in which we inter interact, uh, the importance of equitable and sustainable development and the role of sustainable product design and architecture. And if we can discuss a way forward, uh, your wonderful set of panelists tonight are uh, Sunella Jayawardena, environmental architect and conservationist, Shneel Malik, an architect and biodesigner, um, and Pushpa Galhena, who's um, a community mobilizer and leader in Sivalipura here in Colombo. Um, and we have a moderator, Iromi Pereira, who's the founder and director of the Colombo Urban Lab. So without further ado, I will pass it off to Iromi to get us started. Thanks, Emma. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. I know that uh, it's a bit difficult sort of negotiating between your power cut schedules and so on. Mine is due to go off any minute, so excuse any change in lighting as I give the introduction to our panel. Um, I'm really excited to be moderating this panel today with Sunila, Pushpa, and Shneel. And um, I think we are going to end up with a really wonderful hour where we will hopefully um, leave our audience with uh, something new or many things new that you would have learned in our session today. Um, so, so some kind of a, a small background to our session today is basically that um, we have many sort of conversations in our day to day about rapid urbanization, about its impact on our environment and our surroundings um, and the kind of the issues that we face uh, in our day to day lives and broadly. Um, so in our session today, what we do want to talk about is not just about issues, but looking at sort of solutions and a way forward. What can we learn from our environment, things around us, uh, things that communities themselves are doing? What are the lessons that we can take uh, towards a more sustainable future? Um, and one of the key issues that we are pegging to our session today is this absence of harmony that we see in our urbanization and environment today. So here we speak about sort of the absence or the gaps between the built environment and nature, uh, between government institutions and the communities and the policymakers. And it is these gaps where people are not talking to each other that is causing a serious uh, impact on our environment and our economy and on the communities themselves and the public at large. Um, and, you know, looking at the issues today, for example, it, you know, it's a perfect example of what happens when we don't pay attention to the fact that everything is connected. A few months ago, we may have been saying, you know, the economy and the forex issue may not, you know, maybe something that only economists need to deal with. 
But today it's something that has really affected, you know, every home well about the way we eat, about the way we cook and about the way we work. And in that same way, when that disconnect is extended to our development plans, where the various stakeholders don't talk to each other, that's when we see the, you know, the quality of life being affected, the way that we use our public spaces and these various infrastructure affected. Um, just to give a basic example, you know, how many times have we said, you know, public transport plans are made by people who have never had to take a bus to work uh, or that, you know, kitchens in homes or these flats are um, designed by people who don't cook. Uh, and these are sort of the everyday sort of examples that uh, we use to try and uh, help people see that, uh, you know, everything is really connected. And on that, there goes my power. Um, so I don't want to uh, take up too much of our time uh, just talking about introductions, uh, but where I kind of, I just wanted to set this context for you so that you can see uh, what, what we hope to achieve from this session and why we are so excited to have our three speakers with us. They bring um, extremely diverse experience to this panel and uh, hopefully addresses, will address uh, how to overcome these gaps that we see and gaps that I just spoke about. So uh, without uh, going uh, any further, I would like to invite Sonela to give to speak for a few minutes about her work and her experience. Uh, over to you, Sonela. Hi, uh, good evening, Yeromi and Shneel, um, uh, um, Pushpa and uh, GLX for inviting, thank you for inviting me and hello to everyone who's listening in. Um, my practice uh, in environmental architecture um, actually has always been uh, passion driven. I've always considered myself more an environmentalist than an architect. So actually um, the way it's worded is very telling of uh, how I uh, imprint uh, in my work um, as, as an environmentalist and an architect. And I think that's um, a lot to do with uh, being very aware of um, who and how we are as a species, that we are merely a component in, in an ecosystem. And not, um, even while being the apex species at the moment, um, we are, uh, you know, We've been doing a bad job of it, so I think you know everyone should be uh, really getting on that on the on it and um, trying to make amends. Uh, and I I think um, in my work I have tried um, uh, as you as you can see in the images that are being shared here. Um, I think a lot of the answers come from uh, the past. These are systems which have been practiced for um, hundreds, if not thousands of years, and therefore they must work. And, uh, you know, uh, that's what I do believe. And then you match it with something very uh, recent uh, or the technology. So here, this is a play ball. If you go back a minute, Emma, just go back a minute, if you don't mind. Um, these are sun-baked bricks, so low energy uh, taken from the soil where we are building, but I've sandwiched it every few layers with cement. So I'm bringing this new technology of cement just um, as a backup, uh, just to make sure it doesn't fall over. Um, uh, these are commercial bills. Uh, maybe in ancient times, it was uh, not so much a commercial use. Uh, moving on, I also tried to bring in this, um, the 
indigenous uh, um, building practices. I would say the, the traditional materials here, you see Candian uh, roof tiles being laid. These are terracotta shingles, which actually work way better than the, the um, half round tile or the Western uh, tile, which all came with colonial influences. But for thousands of years before, this is the kind of tile you get that. Then there must be a reason. A, um, well, I know the monkeys don't create as much trouble when they jump on it because the tiles are much smaller. Um, but also it takes the roof slopes very well. Um, I have um, you know, learned that because they, these tiles, the, uh, the shingles are hinged, they don't slide off as often. And you know, uh, here you can see how I'm trying to match it with more um, modern uh, building systems. And I think that's what the lessons that I've taken forward. This is the underside of the same thing. And you can see um, how the, the Candian uh, roof tile, though it's called Candian, it was used all over Sri Lanka. Um, and they're hinge, uh, they're, sorry, they, they have a little, uh, uh, yeah, the little hook which hangs onto the reefers and stops them from sliding. Um, and, you know, these are things which could be reused. What it also does is, um, if you can move on, Emma. Yeah, um, okay, so, right, here's another practice which I've um, been researching. This is, uh, has been used uh, in Sri Lanka to preserve wood. It's just burning, you know, you create a, a film of carbon. You do a light burn and you scrub it off and what you're doing is you're protecting the wood. This is all still practiced in Japan, and there's almost there's a bit of a revival in Japan. Um, here, what I'm doing is using an old piece, which is on the right, which is very seasoned wood, with a new piece of wood, which I'm um, seasoning or preserving by doing this light burn. Uh, and uh, you know, any any boring insect would uh, find uh, boring through carbon uh, carbonized uh, wood distasteful so obviously it worked today it's only found uh, in some areas uh, for fence posts but it's not used in actual construction here is cheap wood preservation it's way cheaper than all the um, you know chemicals that you would buy at uh, you know huge amounts per square meter or whatever here's uh, you know do it yourself home based uh, wood preservative earlier with the clay tiles which you could dig up in your own yard or you could have someone supplied basically a compressed uh, brick um, and moving on if we, um, yeah this is a uh, jetpin Villuena, which is a hotel uh, which i did almost 20 years ago and what you're seeing is is a thatch but when you use the thatch well, so something else that happens you have a very steep roof which carries the monsoon rains off which is something we have now lost we have these mild slopes which take asbestos and what it also does is um, it traps uh, heat inside you'll see it in the next image but in this one there's one more thing you see uh, the buildings raised on these white stumps and this is called tan pitter or it's uh, placed with a um, air flow underneath and what it does is create a passive cooling system it also protects it again from creepy crawlies and boring insects and so on you just move on one more 
So this is the inside of uh, one of those buildings. And again, what um, I talked about was those very high ceilings, uh, which in our climate works very well because it allows the heat to rise. Um, and if you have low ceilings, which we have inherited from our colonial masters, uh, is that we uh, trap the heat close to us. And I mean, this is what was brought from Europe, where it was cold, um, no research done. This is what you should do. And sadly, we are still doing it without understanding why we are doing it. Now, these are some of the things which I think could be incorporated in, um, in our uh, development uh, projects um, in terms of uh, when you're designing for entire communities. Um, for instance, here there is, uh, you can see the um, airflow, there is um, uh, uh, through ventilation, which um, allows the building to cool without uh, having to look for any artificial uh, systems. This is in a high-end hotel. There is no fan. There is nothing, and you know it, it's quite comfortable. So what I'm trying to tell you is these things are uh, doable in community uh, architecture. What I uh, I think what has happened is when uh, we are, we build, there is no consideration for who's going to live there, for who's going to use this. Uh, Iromi, you said uh, something about kitchens being designed by people who don't cook. I think bathrooms are designed by people who don't bathe because they're dark and dingy and they're horrible. It's not a place where anyone would want to have a bath. So these are very simple things. You know, we can have air dried bathrooms. Uh, we can uh, also, um, you know, so, Coming back to what I was saying is, it's really about consultation with the user. And that's where we are, uh, not, we are really falling down because we are building for people uh, who uh, are not being consulted at all. And I uh, actually do believe that this is something that should be legislated, that um, the stakeholders, um, both the developer and uh, the, the client, when I say the client, uh, whoever they say the community, like say Pushpa's community or her, they should be consulted in terms of what uh, their requirements are in, you know, do they need a balcony to dry their clothes? How are they drying their clothes? Does anyone ask them? Uh, and then in the same way, explain to them what is possible. Um, I, I do believe that in urban development, uh, we have to go up. There is no other option at this point. Uh, because uh, on a small island, our footprint uh, has to get smaller in urban areas. Hiromi, I can see my time is up. We'll bring, come back to that happily. Thanks, Sunila. And that was great. And there are so many things that I'd like to pick up on what you said uh, in the Q&A. But I think you kind of got to the heart of the matter, which is when you create these spaces that are not in consultation with communities, in the end, it is the user that ends up uh, paying that price. Um, for example, in many of the relocation housing that we see in Colombo and in other parts of the country, because there is no consultation with the communities who will finally live in those houses, they end up with, you know, kitchens that they can't use and they end up cooking outside or they end up living in these uh, flats that are far too hot uh, with no greenery, no proper ventilation and, you know, no place to dry their clothes. And in the end, like you... It, it, it's just a tick box for a government institution to say that they have provided, you know, thousands of homes for people, 
but is anyone really asking what life is like for people in those um, in those houses, right? So maybe we'll come back to that later. Um, so moving on to Shneel, I think here we are really excited to hear about her work and uh, again about how it would connect to what here what we are talking about with regard to the impact on nature when design and implementation are not really going in hand in hand and considering the repercussions on our environment. Um, Shneel, over to you. Thank you. Uh... Firstly, thank you so much for inviting me here today. I'm super excited to be on this panel. I'll start sharing my screen quickly, one second. Uh, right, do we see everything? Yeah, amazing. Um, just a quick, quick uh, intro. I am uh, Shanil Malik and I have a PhD in architecture from the Bartlett School of Architecture, UCL. Uh, and my PhD was between architecture and biochemical engineering. So uh, I call myself a, a bio designer. I'm a hybrid species. Um, and my interest lies in asking the very important question. How can we design buildings that can perform in tandem with its surrounding? How can we design our buildings so that it performs as if the building is nature itself? Um, and how do I do this? So I work as a designer and an architect with bioengineers and biologists and synthetic biologists trying to understand the fundamentals of science and biology. And I, as an architect, want to find ways of how I can create architectural skins and surfaces so that it creates an integration between the human habitation and the environment and the ecology around us. That means that I start and I design across different scales from the nano scale, the micro scale, the material and to the macro scale, the architectural, right? Um, here, I'm showing the interrelationship between the different hats that I have to wear. I, as an architect, will step into the lab environment and start developing new materials, materials that we call biological materials, right? Here, I'm showing you very two simple examples of two different worlds. On the left, you're seeing uh, biomaterials or scientists 3D printing on a super tiny scale with materials that allow organisms to grow. In this example on your screen on the left, you're seeing uh, the green within the hydrogel or the biomaterial is microalgae. That means the, the material has been designed to allow microorganism or the microalgae to thrive within the material itself, performing processes such as photosynthesis. On the right, you're seeing um, a very famous uh, BIQ house, which was designed in Hamburg which is on a much larger scale. Uh, and, the and here the architectural building has these skins, the glass panels that are designed to grow the algae. The aim for this project was obviously to grow algae so that it can perform photosynthesis, absorb carbon dioxide and use the biomass of the algae for the food industry or pharmaceuticals. But I, as a designer, wanted to experiment if I can create materials such as the biomaterial and design on the large scale 
as opposed to using engineering systems, right? So I started experimenting myself and I, uh, and I along with my supervisors and the bio-integrated design lab at UCL, we together developed these materials. These are new materials that allow the growth of plant tissue or microalgal cells. They allow these algal cells to live and survive within the surface or the membrane of the material itself, allowing the microorganisms to perform photosynthesis, absorb carbon. My next question, now this material is 90% made up of water. It's very viscous and it's jelly. It's a fluid system and that's how it is able to support life, right? So the biggest challenge for me as a designer is how can I use this gooey material to make something as large scale as from an architect's perspective? So I started looking at 3D printing. We started 3D printing with this material on uh, different scales. So here you're seeing a robotic extrusion system. Here, just like everything in nature, like a skin, the cell membranes, the tree of uh, the bark of a tree, they are all uh, constructed layer by layer. And with each layer, the structural property, the biological property, the physical property of that material changes. So I started doing the same thing here. With every layer that we 3D printed, we changed the property. So the bottommost layer was still the gooey material, but was, was structurally stable. And the topmost layer, the green layer that you see here, has um, more water percentage, allowing the topmost surface of my membrane to perform photosynthesis while being structurally stable. So these are panels that were printed one meter long, and there were five of them that were exhibited for the first time at the BioTalent Biennale in 2017. Now, my next question is, I'm looking at a species that is an organism on the micro micro scale. We found a material that is not as easy to work with on the material micro scale. I want to try apply it on an architectural scale, right? Besides photosynthesis, can it do anything else? So through collaborations with scientists, such as Dr. Brenda Parker, who's a biochemical engineer, and Dr. Paolo Bombelli at Cambridge University, who's a bioelectrical engineer, who were already algae geniuses, but they were working in their labs trying to develop uh, devices. So I started to collaborate with them and we, um, formed two prototypes. The first one on the left, which is um, a biosorption. So here you're seeing that we are computationally designing scaffolds. Here, the, the scaffold is constructed from a material, a building material that already exists, but that becomes a host for the new material, the living material, right? Um, here, the porosity of my building material is allowing the porosity of my algae material to continue to grow and thrive. So they both support each other, allowing me to achieve a much bigger structural stability. The next example was biophotovoltaics or using the ability of microalgae to produce small amounts of electricity. So here you're seeing us create these cellular forms uh, algorithmically or on the computer through certain parameters that we got from the lab and we realized how big or small a cell should be. And we tried to 3D print these structural scaffolds and layer them 
with an anode and a cathode and create this sort of cellular uh, structural scaffold, a biohybrid system that is both living but has structural stability and is also using certain existing building materials. My next question has always been, my mom would still always ask me, I understand, but you're working with algae and you were always an architect. What, what happened with the building? So um, through a lot of site visits that we had been doing in small scale communities across India, uh, we realized that small amounts of water was being polluted and it was being disposed of into nearby streams. And microalgae has been used uh, for decades as a bioremediation or a system to treat polluted water. So we designed this wall system or these tile-like scaffolds in which the microalgal containing material was inlaid. These tiles can be tessellated into a wall system as big or as small, depending on how much volume of water needs to be treated and how much space the community, the small uh, scale artisanal community has have. And then we sort of designed this wall where you can uh, inlet the water at the top. The water trickles onto the surface, allowing the microalgae to absorb the heavy metals present in the polluted water, allowing cleaner water to be uh, removed and reused within the system. This actually came, um, why the passion for me was I was using high-tech systems. Uh, such as robotic extrusions, but I do know that the value and the impact global climate change has on developing communities has been much, much more. So how can we design to integrate these living systems as potential solutions within the existing economy of the developing communities was super important for us. And that's why this project came about through those interactions and site visits, where we imagine that uh, the ceramic art or the vernacular traditions of the community can already can be incorporated um, and upgraded to use a new sort of a living system and a biological system. Uh, later on, more recently, we did another version of the same Venetian tiles. Um, and that was for the Beasley designs of the year at the Design Museum. But it also looks more into uh, the interaction between the polluted water and the microalgae within the tiles in order to optimize how it flows within the system. So um, as a bio designer, I'm super um, ambitious and what drives me is how can we design these um, high tech systems in a rather low tech manner while being able to create new materials uh, that can be integrated within the existing environmental or, you know, the economy uh, of our existing communities. Uh, thank you very much. And you can ask me as many questions as you want. <laughs> Thanks so much, Neil. Um, that was really fascinating. And I'm sure a lot of uh, audience members also have um, many questions for you um, on uh, on your product, but also your experience in kind of bringing this extremely sort of niche uh, product to working with communities. And I'll pick up on that in a little bit. Um, 
So here uh, we would like to now move on to Shilpa, who is a community mobilizer from Sivalipura, who I have also worked with for a very long time. Uh, and Pushpa will talk to us about her experience as a community mobilizer and uh, the importance of the maintaining community relationships with stakeholders in the development process. Uh, Pushpa, then Oage Varya Takarana. Thank you. ुनिटी අසුවට ඉස්සෙල්ලා වගේ කාලේ අපේ මේ කොළඹ නගරේ ගොඩක් තුනි පැල්පත්. එතකොට ඒ පැල්පත් එක්ක 75ට පස්සේ අසුවයි 75යි අතරේ ඒ පැල්පත් ඒ කියන්නේ ලෑලි ගෙවල් වගේ තිබිලා ඒවා වඩිච්චි ගෙවල් වලට පෙරලුණා. බම්බු ගහලා මැටි ගහලා ඒවා. ඇත්තටම ඒ කාලෙත් මේ කාලෙත් එක්ක බලනකොට සංවර්ධනය කියලා බලනකොට සුන්දර පරිසරයක් එක්ක තමයි අපි එදා ජීවත් වුනේ. අපි සංවර්ධනයට කැමතියි කියලා 1988 8888ට එක්ක අපිට එදා සාකච්ඡාවක් තිබුණා මොකද ප්‍රජා සංවර්ධන සමිති ආරම්භ වුණේ 1979 ඒ ආරම්භ වෙනකොට අපිට එකතු වුණා කොළඹ මහානගර සභාව නිවාස සංවර්ධන අධිකාරිය යුනිසෙෆ් එක සේව් ද චිල්ඩ්‍රන් මේගොල්ලෝ ඔක්කොම එකතු වුණා මොකද එදා අපේ කොළඹ නගරයේ සෞඛ්‍ය තත්ත්වය ඊටම පහත් පොඩි පහත මට්ටමකින් තුනේ දැනුවත් වීමක් නිසා. එතකොට අපිට අපි පාවිච්චි කරේ පොදු වැසිකිලි. නමුත් අර අපිව ත පෙන්වා ඒගොල්ලෝ හවස ඇවිල්ලා චිත්‍රපටි දාලා මම එතකොට පුංචි කාලේ මගේ ළමා සමාජය වගේ ඉන්න කාලෙදී තිබුණේ. එතකොට එයාලා පෙන්වා සෞඛ්‍යයන් කොහොමද ජීව වැඩි දියුණු වෙන්නේ සෙරෙප්පු දාන්නේ කොහොමද ටොයිලට් පාවිච්චි කරන්නේ කොහොමද ගෙදරක ටොයිලට් එකක් තියෙන්නේ කොහොමද කියලා මේ ජනාවාසින් ජනාවාසෙට ඇවිල්ලා කොළඹ මහානගර සභාවයි යුනිසෙෆ් එකයි එක එකතු වෙලා චිත්‍රපටි පෙන්වා. ඒකෙන් අපිව දන්නවා ඇත්තටම ඒ කාලේ හුඟක් එකතු වුණා ජන සෞඛ්‍ය දෙපාර්තමේන්තුවේ කොළඹ නගර සභාවෙන් මූලික වෙලා කටයුතු කළේ. निवासोट अनी रुपया 
අනුව වගේ කාලෙදී අනුව අනු හතර වෙනකොට නිවාස සංවර්ධන අධිකාරිය නගර සභාව සියලුමයි අපින් අයින් වුණා වගේ වුණා මොකද ඒ කාලේ වෙනකොට නගර සභාවේ ප්‍රයිවට් කරන්න පටන් ගත්ත එක එක අංශ ක්ලීනින් සර්විස් අරවා මේවා එතකොට නිවාස අධිකාරියත් අපිව දාලා ගියා වගේ වුණා අපේ සම්බන්ධතාවය නැති වුණා පාරවල් එතකොට මේ කණ්ඩායම් ඕන විදියට අර අඩි 12 පාර අඩි 3ට වගේ එකතු වෙන්න පටන් ගත්ත ලයිට් කණුවත් එක්ක තාප්පේ ගහන්න පටන් ගත්ත. එතකොට අර නීතියානුකූල පැත්ත අපේ අපේ පැත්තෙන් ගිලි වුණා අපිව දැනුවත් කරන්න කෙනෙක් නැති වුණා අර සාකච්ඡා නොකරන නිසා. ඉතින් සංවර්ධනයත් එක්ක අපිත් කැමති වුණා අර පොදු ටොයිලට් එකට වඩා පොදු ටැප් එකට වඩා ගේ ඇතුලෙම ටැප් එක තියෙන ගේ ඇතුලෙම ටොයිලට් එක තියෙන එක හොඳයි කියන එක. නමුත් ටොයිලට් එක ගේ ඇතුලේ තිබුණට අපිට නියම විදියට සීවලීපුර ඊ එක කියන කොට්ටාසය ඊ ඊ ව්‍යාපාරයේ ඊ එක ඊ දෙක ඊ පහ වෙනකම් නැහැ ස්වරේජ් ලයින් එකක් ටොයිලට් ලයින් එකක් නැහැ එතකොට ඒ ලයින් එක යන්නේ විවෘත කාණුවට එතකොට ඒ පැත්ත මේ රජයත් එක්ක බලනකොට අපේ සංවර්ධනයේ පැත්තෙන් ගිලිහිලා ගිහිල්ලා තියෙනවා දැනට ගස් කොළන් නැති ඉස්සර නම් ගස් කොළන් තිබිච්ච ගොඩාක් අර මං මිස්කේ මේ මේ කතා කරපු අර ආකිටෙක් මිස් කතා කරපු විදියට නම් ඇත්තටම මට හිතෙන්නේ ඒ වගේ සුන්දර පරිසරයක් අපිත් එක්ක කතා කරලා නිර්මාණය වෙනවා නම් හොඳයි දැන් නව අලුතෙන් සංවර්ධනය වෙන ඒවා බලන්න දැන් අපිට සංවර්ධනය වෙනවා කියලා උදාහරණයක් ගත්තොත් පොම්පඤ්ඤ වීදිය නාරායම්පිට මේ හැම තැනම ප්‍රධාන පාරවල් වලට ඉන්න ඉඩම් වල ඉන්න මිනිස්සු ඉඩම් ටික රජයට අරගෙන ඒ මිනිස්සු කෙනල්ලා මේ අයිනකට දාලා තියෙනවා එතකොට ඒවා බිල්ඩින් එක හදලා තියෙනවා අර නිදහසේ හිටපු මිනිස්සු ටික නැවතත් උඩට නග්ගලා බිල්ඩින් ටික නග්ගලා තිබුණාට කිසිම නිර්මාණයක් වෙලා නැහැ මිනිස්සුන්ට ඉන්න සුදුසු පරිසරයක් විදියට ඒක අත්දැකීමෙන්ම තියෙනවා මොකද අර පරවියෝ එනවා පරවියෝ උඩ වහලවල් වල ඉන්නවා ඒවට ඒවයින් අසූචි වැටෙනවා මිනිසුන්ගේ කෑම වලට ඒවා කවුරුත් ඒ ගැන කොච්චර දැනුවත් කරත් රජයෙන් ඒ සම්බන්ධව නැහැ දැන් මම යොමු වෙලා තියෙනවා වර්තමානයේදී දුම්රිය රක්ෂිතේ ඉන්නේ නිවාස සංවර්ධන අධිකාරියෙක් ඉඩම නිවස අපි හදාගත්තේ දැන් දුම්රිය රක්ෂිතයට සංවර්ධනය කියලා දුම්රිය මාර්ගයේ ගෙවල් කඩන්න හදනවා මේ කවුරුත් නැහැ මේ තැනින් තැන දැනුවත් කරනවා මිස සියල්ලම දැනුවත් කරේ නැහැ මම නිකන් යන ගමන් මීටින් එකට කතා කරලා මම බලෙන් ගිහිල්ලා ඉඳගෙන මම ඕගනයිස් කරා මුළු ප්‍රජාවම දැනුවත් කරන්න කියලා ඊට පස්සේ තමයි ඒගොල්ලෝ වර්ක්ෂොප් කීපයක් තිබ්බා තියලා දැනුවත් කරා නමුත් දැන් ආපහු ඒ දැනුවත් කිරීම නැහැ අහම්බෙන් දැනින් 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 ගෙවල් කඩලා අනවසර ඇවා ඇරියා දැන් අනවසර දැන් අපි නිවාස සංවර්ධනාධිකාරිය නිවාස වලට මොනවද කරන්නේ කියලා තාම සාකච්ඡාවක් කරන්නේ නැහැ ඉතින් සංවර්ධනය කියන එකට අපි කැමති වුණාට සංවර්ධනය අපිට ඕන විදියට නිවස ලස්සනට විදියට නිර්මාණය කරන්නේ අපිත් ආසයි ලස්සන ගේක හැරිලා ඉන්න දැන් මේ පර්චස් දෙකේ ගෙදර සංවර්ධනය වෙනවා කියන්නේ පර්චස් දෙකේ ගෙදර අඩු ගානේ පර්චස් තුනකවත් හතරකටවත් सांवर्धन वेणुकुट कर्मांत शाला अपद्रव्य 
ඉවත් කරනවා දැන් මේ අපි ඉවත් කරන්නේ අපද්‍රව්‍ය විවෘත කාණුවට ඒ වගේ අවස්ථාවකදී ඒ අර අපද්‍රව්‍ය රඳා පවතින මේ ටයිල් එකක් වගේ නිර්මාණය කරලා දැනුවත් කරනවා නම් ඊටම හොඳයි කියලා මම හිතනවා ඇත්තටම මිස් කියතර තියෙන්නේ මේ ලෑලි ක්‍රමය ඇත්තටම දැන් රෝගියෙකුට ඉන්න බැරි පරිසරයක් තමයි මේ තියෙන්නේ ඉන්න බෑ රස්නේ ඉතින් මේ මට කොහොමද වාතය එන විදියට ලෑස්ති කරගන්නේ කියන එක සංවර්ධනය කරනවා නම් වඩා හොඳයි කියලා මම හිතන්නේ මගේ පැත්තෙන් මම යෝජනා කරන්නේ මේ සාකච්ඡාව සාදුරටත් කියනවා මම හිතන්නේ මට තේරුණේ ඔබ දෙපළගේ කතාව ඒ විදියයි මොකද ඇත්තටම සංවර්ධනය නම් කමියුනිටි එකත් එක්ක සාකච්ඡා කරලා කරනවා නම් හොඳයි නව නිර්මාණ වලටත් අපි කැමති නිර්මාණ නව නිර්මාණ දැනගන්න කැමති ඒවා ක්‍රියාත්මක කරන්න කැමති නමුත් අපි සාකච්ඡා කරද්දී අපිව ගිලිහිලා අපිව පැත්ත කර දාලා තමයි අපිත් එක්ක ඔක්කොම නිර්මාණය කරන්නේ මම හිතන්නේ හරි කියලා හිතනවා මගේ කතාවදී ඔබ තුමා තුමියලා දැනගත්තු දේවල් එහෙම Thank you, Pushpa. संवर्धन विद्यालय Uh, the concept that we are pegging to this session uh, and i was wondering if both of you could touch upon this concept your thoughts on it your opinion uh, your experience how you interpret this uh, idea of biomimicry in your own work um, and maybe we could talk about that for uh, for the next few minutes uh, shneel maybe we could start with you mm -hmm. okay um so i think the term biomimicry is relatively old now and the term we use um is biointegrated so for us biomimicry um sort of was forever limited to an object a product or an architectural space that looks like nature or that looks like something natural that obviously had certain limitations and it was somehow restricted to the aesthetics limited in the aesthetics um of course there were at that time you know um scholars such as jaina and benyes um who propagated the agenda of mimicking biology uh across different levels so um the term we are more familiar with and the term we officially use to describe the kind of designs we do is called biointegrated where we want to highlight the importance of integrating the biology within the functionality of everything we design that might be across different levels uh levels of that is microorganisms um plants tissues 
court if, if the um I think there's can I can yeah I think it's fine now um yeah so uh, while also, so that's why we, for the first time at the BioID lab, uh, we needed um, a bio lab, a proper scientific lab setting within the architectural environment where we as students um, through could actually step into the lab and understand how things grew uh, and what were their requirements. Um, what were the lighting conditions? What were the nutrients? What is, how long does something grow or decay, right? Because if anything is, um, there is a very important uh, element or parameter that we have to consider while designing and that is of time. So anything that is bio-integrated will have uh, an element of growth and will have an element of decay. It will change as the seasons change. It will change when there is more sun, when there is more dust, when it rains, when there's more moisture, when there's more humidity, because it is in real time responding to its uh, micro environment or to the immediate surrounding conditions. So we are, I do know that the wall tiles look like the veins on a leaf and that it was mimicked, but um, that happened by chance, I have to say, because um, we were doing a lot of lab experiments and we realized that there are material constraints and the microalgae will not absorb beyond a certain depth. So we sort of went back to the computer screen and we entered certain parameters uh, on the software that we use. And we also want to optimize the movement and the flow of water through a vertical surface. And uh, obviously on the, on the computer, it was a much more complex venation system like the one that you would see on a proper living leaf. But then in order to fabricate such a thing and for it to be fabricated using traditional materials of ceramic, for instance, we had to tone it down a little bit, clean up the geometry and hence. So that's why if you see the next iterations don't exactly look like a leaf anymore, but the, the one that looks and mimics like the leaf has stayed with the public for longer because of relativity and connectivity, like the storytelling is much nicer. Um, uh, but that was, the end product was definitely scientific. <laughs> it was not that, okay, it should look like a leaf. <laughs> that was not the aim. Um, that's really fascinating. I'm, I mean, and I and I urge everyone who's listening in today to uh, go online and check out uh, her work. And I think, I mean, there's just so much more, I think, that we could have covered, um, if not for time limitations also. But uh, Shneel, thank you so much. That was really great. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, a variety of new designs that you're going to come up with. Um, Sunila, uh, over to you. Sunila, you're on mute. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting a bit stuck on what uh, Shanil said about biomimicry and biointegration, because uh, I have always um, wondered about, uh, I mean, I maybe not exact uh, words, but the concepts of biomimicry and biointegration, because I think in certain materials, for, like, for instance, like the uh, earth walls, whether they are with, you know, the adobe type, uh, sun-baked brick or with wattle and daub or whatever. 
that I think there is some level of biomimicry and things like that because you're looking at what the termites do, right? Um, so you're using this processed uh, earth and you're creating um, a, a monolith. The wall becomes a monolith because it breathes uh, with um, the weather changes. It uh, absorbs moisture, it dries. And obviously, instead of saliva, uh, you know, you're using <laughs> plaster of some kind, you know, either a cement or a, or a, a lime plaster, which was used in, um, in earlier times. Um, but when it comes to bio-integration, I actually uh, have tried to um, design uh, in terms of bio-integration because I've always said I don't uh, find, you know, I, I don't look at uh, architecture something monumental, but uh, more as an integrated, um, so it, it disappears into its natural landscape. And in cases where the natural landscape has uh, been uh, badly, uh, damaged or uh, under heavy distress. Uh, what I would look at is uh, a natural habitat uh, as close as possible to my site and try and replicate that and then build uh, in a way that it, um, so as, as a design, so as Shneel was talking about scale, um, it's about scaling things into uh, the integration could be uh, an entire hotel or it could be, a uh, single housing unit. In an urban situation, it becomes somewhat different. And then I, I think it's about uh, allowing breathing, allowing a cleaning process. And there again, I think, you know, as an architect, I think there can be some integration. If you if you look at Chenille's um, work where you're actually cleaning uh, uh, polluted water, uh, that would be very important in an urban situation uh, because if you look at a natural uh, ecosystem, it does uh, have its natural filters, right? Uh, so in that sense, there is, uh, again, we get stuck between integration and mimicry. Are we mimicking an ecosystem? Are we integrating in, uh, you know, you can integrate where there is a natural uh, environment in existence, but where it isn't. Uh, in a brownfield site, I think mimicry may be required to some extent. Thanks, Sunila. Um, that's, that's definitely a lot for us to think about. Um, and definitely, I think, particularly say in the case of Colombo, we do need to be aware of that, you know, this is sort of the hub of so much of the development that is taking place. And what we also tend to forget in the development planning process is that, uh, you know, things like Colombo's wetlands, um, and we are the only capital city in the world to have a Ramsar status. So then what does that mean when all this massive development uh, is affecting directly the wetlands and the ecosystems around it? Um, I guess now we can move on to the question and answer session. Please feel free to put your questions in the chat. Um, I can see one question from Anush, uh, which I will get to um, second, because I want to move first, uh, pose a question to Pushpa, uh, and then uh, ask questions from uh, Sunila and Shneel. Um, Pushpa, Mama Kamati, Oaging Danagana. Uh, where then Goda Kalia Praja, 
තව අපිත් ඔයාත් එක්ක වැඩ කරනකොට අපි දකින්නවා ඔයා ප්‍රජාවකට ගිහාම ඒගොල්ලන්ට සමිතියක් නැත්නම් ඔයා කොහොම හරි ඒගොල්ලෝ දඳවගෙන ඒගොල්ලන්ගේ සමිතියක් හදනවා ඔයා ඔයා හැම්බලින්ම බලන්නේ ප්‍රජාවක් කොහොමද එකමුතු කරලා සාමූහිකව ඒගොල්ලන් වැඩ කරන්නේ කොහොමද තමයි ඔයා හැම්බලින්ම මම දකින විදිහට ඔයා බලන්නේ ඒත් අපි කොළඹ වෙන පැතිවල වැඩ කරනකොට ප්‍රජාවන් එහෙම නෙවෙයි හිතන්නේ ඒගොල්ලෝ හැම්බලින්ම එහෙම සමිති හදන්නේ නැහැ ඒගොල්ලන්ට ප්‍රශ්නයක් තියෙනවා නම් තනි තනිවම වැඩ කරන්නේ නැත්නම් ඒගොල්ලෝ හිතනවා රාජ ආයතනයක් ඇවිල්ලා ඒගොල්ලන්ට උදව් කරන්න ඕනි කියලා ඔයා කාන්තාවක් හැටියට නායිකාවක් හැටියට ඇයි ඔයා හිතන්නේ මේ විදිහට ප්‍රජාවක් එක්ක එකට වැඩ කරන්න ඕනේ ඒ කියන්නේ ඔයගලගේ ගෙවල් ප්‍රශ්නයක් වුණත් යටිතල පහසුකම් වුණත් ඔයා මං දන්නවා ඔයාට තේරෙනවා ඒ සම්බන්ධකම මොකද්ද අපේ පරිසරයත් එක්ක කියලා ඒත් ඇයි කියන්නේ ඔයාට මෝටිවේට් වෙන්නේ මොකද්ද ඇයි ඔයා මේ ඔයා දෙකන වැඩේ කරන්නේ මොකද මේක නෙවෙයි ඔයාගේ රස්සාව ඔයාට මේක ස්වච්ඡාවෙන් ඔයා කරන වැඩක් ඔයාට මේකට වැටුපක් ලැබෙන්නේ නැහැ අපිට පොඩ්ඩක් කියන්න පුළුවන්ද ඇයි ඔයා මේ වගේ ප්‍රජාවත් සමග වැඩ කරන්න මෙච්චර බැඳිලා ඉන්නේ කියලා පුෂ්ප ඔයා තාම මියුට් ुन मुलांका मट क्षित संवर्धन जनसाव्य सार्थक 
මුදල් දෙන්න පටන් ගත්තට පස්සේ අර ජනසවියෙන් නිර්මාණාත්මක හැකියාව දියුණු කළා ඒගොල්ලන්ට නිර්මාණය කරලා එයාලගේ ස්වයන් රැකියාව දියුණු වෙන්න අවස්ථාවක් හදලා දුන්නා නම් මම හිතන්නේ අද මිච්චර මීට වැඩිය සංවර්ධනය වෙනා මම කියන්නේ සමුද්‍ය නවතන්න කියන එක බැරිම කෙනාට නමුත් මීට වැඩිය හොයලා බලලා ගොඩක් දුරට කරන්න තිබුණා නමුත් දැන් රටේ සංවර්ධනය ගියා දිහා බලනකොට කාන්තා දිනියට උනත් අපි ඒ දැන් මම කාන්තා බල මණ්ඩලේ ප්‍රාදේශීය ලේකම් බල මණ්ඩලේ ලේකම් ප්‍රාදේශීය ලේකම් කාර්යාලය තිඹිරිගස්යායේ ඉතින් දැන් අද කාන්තා සමිත් කාන්තා සංවර්ධන නිලධාරි කතා කරලා කියනවා පුෂ්ප කාන්තා දිනියට එන්න මොකක් නිසාද කාන්තා දිනියට යන්නේ ඉස්සර අපි කාන්තා දිනිය කිව්වාම අපිට අපිට කාගවත් දේශනයක් අහන්න ගිහිල්ලා වැඩක් නැහැ මට නම් ඕන එච්චරයි දැන් මට දැන් ඒක එපා වෙලා දැන් අර කාන්තා දිනියට ගිහිල්ලා ආවෝ කියලා ඇවිල්ලා වැඩක් නැහැ ඒක ක්‍රියාත්මක වෙන්න අපිට සංවර්ධනය වෙන්න ක්‍රමවේදයක් තියෙනවා නම් තමයි හොඳ ඉතින් ඒ ක්‍රමවේදයට අපිට තාම බැරි වෙනවා මිනිසු ටික මුණ ගස්ස ගන්න මොකද වැඩක් නැහැ ගිහිල්ලා අපිට වෙන්නේ නැහැ ඕක ඔහොම තමයි දැන් තියෙන්නේ දැන් මිස් දැන් අම්ම කාන්තා සමිතිය රැස්වීමක් ඇඳව ගන්න බෑ මිනිසුන්ට මිනිසුන්ට එපා වෙලා ඇයි දැනුම දීලා වැඩක් නැහැ ඒක ප්‍රායෝගිකව කරන්න වැඩපිළිවෙලක් තියෙන්න ඕනේ ප්‍රායෝගික වැඩපිළිවෙල කරන්නේ කොහොමද බාධක තියෙනවනේ ඔන්න ගොනු කරගත්තු ගමන් කියයි කඩා කප්පල්කාරී කියලා ඉතින් මොකද කරන්නේ සත්තරු කරන එකක් ඉන්නවා අනිත් එක දේශපාලන මට්ටමෙන් මට පොඩි මේවෙකක් තියෙනවා මොකද මම මගේ පොඩි කාලේ තිබුණේ එක්සත් ජාතික පක්ෂයේ එතකොට එක්සත් ජාතික පක්ෂයත් එක්ක තමයි ජාතික තරණ සේවා සභාවේ වැඩ කරේ හැබැයි මට ඒ පක්ෂයට නෙමෙයි වැඩ කරේ ගම වෙනුවෙන් සාමාජිකත්වය දරනකොට ලේබල් එක වැදෙනවා මොකද ගමේ පළා තියෙන මන්ත්‍රීතුමත් එක්ක වැඩ කරනකොට ලේබල් එක වැඩෙනවා ආයා එක්සත් ජාතික පක්ෂය කියලා ආණ්ඩුව පෙරළ වෙනකොට අනුහතරේ පුෂ්පට රසාවක්වත් ගන්න විදියක් නැහැ මොකද යුඑම්පි නිසා अमेरिका එතකොට හිරෝ මිනිස් මගේ තව වැඩක් තියෙනවා මම දේශනයක් කැහුවොත් කොහෙන් හරි එයාව කොහොම හරි බිම්මට්ටමට ගේනවමයි මම ඉස්සෙල්ලා වැඩ කරේ ඩොක්ටර් කුමාරෝපසිංහත් එක්ක සහජීවන පදනමේ ෆවුන්ඩේෂන් ෆෝ කොයික්සිට් කියන එකේ කොළඹ කොළඹ ලීඩර් හැටියට මට දේශනයක් හම්බුණොත් මම මේ දේශකයත් එක්ක කතා කරලා මම ප්‍රජා නායක නායිකාවවම දැනුවත් කරන අවස්ථාවක් යොදාගත්ත මගේ සංවිධානය මොකද මම ඩොක්ටර් කුමාර් උපසිංහත් එක්ක කතා කරලා මම සල්ලි වෙන් කරගත්ත අර ලෙක්චර්ස් එකට දෙන්න 10000 15000ේ ලෙක්චර් කෙනෙක් ගන්නේ එතකොට එයාට ඒක දීලා මම ගොඩක් දුරට ප්‍රජා නායක නායිකාවන්ව දැනුවත් කරා මං මේ දැනුවත් කිරීම තුලින් ගොඩක් ප්‍රජා නායක නායිකාව ඉස්සරහින් ඉන්නවා මට ඉතින් ඒකට සතුටක් තියෙනවා ඉතින් දැනටත් සමිති හැදෙන්නේ නැත්තම් මට පුළුවන් හදලා ගන්න හැබැයි ඒකට මගින් එන්න ඕනේ ඒ අර මිනිසුන්ව දැනුවත් කරන්න उनकी 
අදහස capacity building කියන දේ අපි තව වැඩියෙන් තව මේ කරන්න ඕනේ මොකද එතකොට තමයි තරුණ පරපුරත් මං හිතන්නේ තව ඉස්සරහට එනකොට මේ වගේ යටි තල පහසුකම් නිවාස වගේ ගැන දේවල් ගැනටත් ඒගොල්ලොත් ඔය වගේ ස්වේච්ඡාවෙන් වැඩ කරන්නේ thank you pushpa අපි කියන්නේ අපි මං හිතන්නේ තව ෂුට්ටක් මට මොකද අපෙන් පස්සේ මේ දැනුවත් කරන්න කණ්ඩායමක් හිටියේ නැහැ संवादापुर and i think that was like a really great sort of um a viewpoint i think we would only hear from people who are really ingrained in the grassroots level work about the importance of capacity building and also the importance of taking communities and the public with the development process that they are not you know different blocks or different categories and that you know some things are left to the experts master plans and development plans are left to the experts the communities are recipients of these things and i think there is some value in talking about not just an interdisciplinary approach not just about a, a better horizontal working relationship between institutions but also about who you take with you in that consultation process uh and moving on to sunila so anush has already asked the question that i had in mind for sunila so i'll just read it out here um for those who are tuning in and can't uh read the chat um so the question is from anush is do you think the design materials and building approach you highlighted is applicable at all uh, to urban settings uh, with the pressure coming with it for higher density housing in smaller footprint for example or is it mainly for more rural or for niche uh, areas like tourism um and just sorry just before uh, we go to sunila uh, we we will take another 5 10 minutes and extend our session and we hope that you can stay with us even though we are now at time because um as you can see we have so much more that we want to discuss um so i hope you can stay with us for another 5 or 10 minutes um sunila over to you um so to answer anush um Yes, I I think it can be because design, uh, if design is to be successful, it has to be contextual. It has to be contextually correct. Um, you can't apply uh, the same brush on every uh, site. Uh, so you can uh, have some part of that approach, uh, if not all. Uh, and whatever is suitable here may not be suitable there. So then you know I, what um, I. Uh, the examples i gave you are uh, just for um, a couple of particular sites for the next site it might be something else but i think what you have to really keep in mind is the philosophy of design which is uh, what are your priorities here uh, what are what do you consider essentials um is it uh, you know clean air uh, clean water is it uh, giving people enough uh, public spaces which will actually uh, help them grow as a community help the children help the uh, elders because you know the, the children are the future and the elders are the past and uh, in the middle you'll find the people who have no time actually because 
you know, so it's really uh, ideally it has to be designed for the children and for the elders uh, in community um, projects uh, in particular. But yes, you you if you keep your eye on the ball in terms of what your priorities are, um, light, uh, good light, uh, wind, um, uh, you know, air and uh, clean water. And how do you achieve that in that particular site? Uh, with the minimal um, uh, environmental impact. Uh, I think that's what it is. And yes, we, we have a lot of wetland Iromi, uh, and when it's a Ramsar site, it's protected, which means we can't touch it, which means we have to work around it, right? Um, uh, most of Colombo has been wetland, most of it has been filled in. Uh, you know, uh, Colombo is uh, built uh, on an estuary. So um, what is left of it, we preserve. Um, we, and uh, you know, there's so much low lying land. There are ways to work around it. Um, and there are ways to work with it. And, but you know, obviously we can't come up with all the solutions here and now. Um, for instance, uh, earlier when we were talking with Pushpa, she, she talked of these green spaces they had and that they have lost in development. That's a sad reality uh, that, uh, you know, for instance, yeah, we, if you had to save the wetlands and the population in Colombo is growing, it has to go up. It has, there's no other way. High density is moving up or, or we expand and uh, forfeit uh, the, in the case of Colombo, the wetlands or in uh, case of any other urban area, if you take New York, um, the Hudson uh, wetlands were the, hunting grounds of uh, the Native Americans, right? Uh, now those are dumps. Uh, so there is a give and take. Um, in this case, as we move forward, as the environment becomes more precious, clean and clean water, I, 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 didn't, uh, I can say it a thousand times and it still won't be enough. Um, then uh, the sacrifices that we would have to make is to move up, um, you know, uh, high uh, density uh, construction, but it doesn't have to be that, uh, you know, the bathroom that no one wants to bathe in and the kitchen that nobody wants to cook in. It can be well designed. It can be well de designed, but for that, you have to have that consultation. You have to talk again to the, uh, I believe, to the, uh, to the children and to the elders, and they will tell you, and together mm -hmm. that will come uh, the needs of, of that community. And that has to be legislated yeah. because no developer will do it. Thanks. Thank you so much, Sunela. And I think uh, that gives me a really good uh, entry point to the question that I wanted to ask Shneel, which is also which is on pedagogy. Um, so much of what we have spoken about so far is, you know, about the gap between the user and the designer, but. It is also the problem that the designer or the planner is coming from a fairly narrow uh, viewpoint or a very narrow education where it is of a single discipline and they don't think of, you know, to think of consulting with other people, you also have to know how different things fit in. Um, and where I think uh, Shneel is very well placed to talk about is that she is based at the Bartlett, uh, one of the most sort of interdisciplinary um, design schools, architecture spaces there are. And in terms of like the urban work that they do, um, it is an extremely fascinating place full of, you know, really amazing work being done. Uh, Shneel, could you maybe talk a little bit about 
why or how being at a space like the Bartlett has uh, impacted the way that you work and the way that you think about work, uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to going to or being a part of what is what would have been considered a fairly traditional architecture uh, school. And why I also ask this question is that uh, this has been a comment that has come a lot from the architects in Sri Lanka about the need to update the way that planning and design and architecture is taught uh, in our local universities here? I think that's a very, very important question to sort of touch upon. Um, I feel blessed that I was at the Bartlett, but I remember in 2014, my very initial years uh, when we were doing masters, um, I think it was the very first year when somebody at the Bartlett was trying to grow algae and we didn't have a safe space place to grow it and um, I remember converting an old bathroom in a warehouse as my it, all I needed was a, a water outlet and something that I can sanitize stuff with after a lot of failure I realized that hmm, I'm at the university I'm sure somebody in the university would know how to grow algae and the next thing I know, I'm sort of knocking on doors of scientists, trying to show them photographs of my failed experiments. And they are, have no clue of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think out of those, like one, Dr. Brenna Parker was one, she seemed to resonate with my, <laughs> with the vision that we were sort of looking at. And after that, the next thing we know that she obviously allowed me into her lab space and started teaching me how to actually conduct experiments. And that is when, uh, as a designer, you know, a very different world opens up to you. You can't think on those levels when, but, and the scientists can't think on the levels as we as designers think. So it was quite annoying when I, as a designer, would ask them questions that they have never looked at because they couldn't be bothered how to slam algae on a building. <laughs> you know so I think from a lot of those learnings it was tricky but a lot of fun that later on we created a course where now we have um, scientists from different backgrounds and architects landscape designers and even fine artists that all work together under that program they all go into the lab they all go play with the uh, additive manufacturing and digital fabrication techniques and they all go and design on the computer let it be um, a chemist or a fine artist who's always worked with a paintbrush and the fun is that in such an environment everybody has some knowledge they all come with their expertise but when they all sit um, in a studio and brainstorm the sort of questions that are asked, the sort of research experiments that are conducted and the outputs that are produced are quite interesting. And that shows the importance of bringing or breaking the boundaries that we have within disciplines. And that is what maybe like um, my fellow uh, panelists, Sunella and Pushpar also touching upon where bringing in different uh, role models or players in a community. Everybody builds the community. Everybody is a part of the community. And so is the environment, right? And so is the transportation. And so is the electrical generation. And so is the wind that flows through your buildings. So if we are to identify um, how 
the pedagogical aspect is very important to allow people that have power to start thinking across multiple scales and multiple levels. But to get to that stage, it is a lot of effort. It is to create, uh, you know, what Richard Feynman would call salons, where in the evening they would have free-flowing conversations over beer or, um, you know, coffee, where people from different backgrounds would say, ah, you know what I like, let's do, try, let's try to do something of that sort. And if that starts happening on a more formal level, where they say, I know that the community has this problem, and I know that I, as a government, need to regulate this. I can release a law that helps to do it, but I don't have a solution for that community. I can stop them from doing it, but I don't have an alternative. Can you, as a scientist, as a designer, a researcher, design something for that community? Can you work with them and try, give them the power through design and science to take charge because it's incredible how powerful communities and people are. And it's incredible when you start designing with them, right? All you need to do is bring those people and make the effort. And just that is so sort of tricky and difficult, but we're hopeful. <laughs> Shneel, thank you so much. And I think in another world, we would have all had this session um, in person. We could have all left together, gone for a drink, gone for dinner, and then, oh, you know, continued these conversations uh, across disciplines. And, um, and, you know, those are the things that we really miss with our online spaces, although it also enables people like you who are far away to join us uh, today. So that's also one of the plus points. Um, I'm really sorry, but uh, we are at time and we need to end. Uh, I can see that there is a question for Shneel and Sandaru on in the chat, and maybe if either one of you wants to answer it, if you could maybe briefly put that in the chat as an answer, that would be great. Um, as Just for my closing remarks, very quickly, I will take on Indira's question about who sets the policies for urban development and how policy can be influenced to, um, you know, discuss the concepts that we have, you know, spoken about today. And I mean, these are fairly lengthy conversation, but as my concluding remarks, what I briefly want to say is that um, unless we push for it, unless we as citizens, unless we as users, as the public, unless we push for it, that kind of change is not going to come. Um, and we don't need to see ourselves as experts. We don't need to be planners or architects. We are the people who use, who are the beneficiaries of these master plans. And also at the end of the day, as citizens of Sri Lanka, this is also our tax money. Uh, we are paying for this in various ways, the money that is being borrowed, the money that yeah. is being spent, all these things do impact us. So we all have an equal right in the matter. So we shouldn't just leave it to politicians, to planners, to the UDA. If you are unhappy with something, if you want to take part in something, push for it. You, you should speak to your uh, local government representatives, get involved in your municipality. There are ways in which as citizens, you can engage with your DS office, with your local government office, whether it's a CMC or an urban council, find out who your members of parliament are, see how you can uh, influence uh, citizens participating in various development plans. Uh, sometimes Urban Development Authority, they put out notices saying they're calling for public comments or consultations, uh, participate in those. Um, we have to be more proactive if we want to influence the policy dialogue and the development trajectory of Sri Lanka. We can't 
wait for things to happen. Uh, and I think that is the mistake that most of us have made, that we are waiting constantly to be told or waiting to be invited. Um, that invitation is not coming and we are going to bear the brunt of you know, ill-planned development. So um, as a conclusion, I hope that we have left you with some ideas, some new ways of thinking, maybe some inspiration. Um, and I hope that it makes you want to go and contact all the people that you know are involved in our development process and talk about how we can make Colombo's uh, development space a more participatory one, uh, a more equal one where there is you know, justice and accessibility for everyone. Um, thank you so much to our speakers, Sunela, Shneel, and Pushpa. Uh, we have really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you to um, the good folks at Good Life for inviting all of us in and for organizing this series. And I hope all of you will be able to join in uh, for the rest of the series that they are having um, in the coming weeks. Um, and I think now I'll hand it over to uh, Emma. Um, to, I guess, close us off. Thank, thank you. you so much. Um, and thank you to our speakers, Sunella, Shneel, and Pushpa, and Iromi for moderating tonight. It was more than we, what we could have hoped for. Um, and I think that we only scratch the surface on so many of these different topics. Um, so really, thank you so much. Um, we hope that we can um, carry on these conversations, you know, outside of tonight, um, and we are really happy to make these connections with you all. And that's a huge part of having this conversation series is to foster these collaborations. We're really, really happy with everything that we talked about tonight. Um, I dropped a few links here in the chat, um, a feedback form for you all to kind of communicate with us how the session went and maybe things we could do better for next time. Um, but just, we would really love to hear from you. Um, the link to register for the next three sessions um, and a link for the application for our creative residency. So basically all that we talk about in these sessions, we want to actionize on them. Um, and that's what we will be doing in this residency. So please submit your applications by next Friday. Um, but with all of that said, um, good night to everyone, whether wherever you're joining in from the world, um, we're happy to have you here. So thanks so much. Bye.